You're listening to HR Mavericks, a weekly podcast featuring leading small business HR professionals who share their experiences and insights to help you know how to turn your HR processes and employee experience into a strategic business advantage. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the next episode of HR Mavericks. I'm your host, Garrett Justice, and today I am joined by a very special guest. I have with me Dr. Jonathan Westover, who is the chair and professor of organizational leadership at Utah Valley University and also a managing partner and principal at Human Capital Innovations. Dr. Westover, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you so much for the invitation to join you, and I'm excited to have a nice conversation with you. Well, thank you for taking the time to join. I'm excited to dive into our topic today and to learn a little bit more about this new book that you have coming out here soon, right? Yeah. So I just released actually about three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, um, my new book, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership. And and so we're going to have a chance to chat about that. Uh, I'm also excited just to share a little bit with your listeners and with your audience about some of the cool things that we're doing in the HR program at Utah Valley University, as well as you know what I'm doing in my consulting firm, Human Capital Innovations. I love it. Well, I'm excited to dive in, but again, we like to start each of these with just a little bit more background and context for our guests so that our listeners have that context as we go through the conversation. So tell us a little bit more about your career and what your company does and what your role is there at yeah. Utah Valley University. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I, I kind of, I'm one that had a meandering path uh, as actually many do in HR. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was as an undergrad student, I switched majors a whole bunch of times, started in math actually, and then business accounting. Um, and, and then eventually I landed in sociology. The reason mm-hmm. for that was I was an accounting major at BYU at the time. And as many people listening probably know, BYU has an excellent accounting program, nationally recognized. Uh, I was good at it. So I figured, Hey, I should, I should do it. It, You know, Mm -hmm. it'll be a good career. The problem was I didn't really like it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I had a hard time like envisioning doing that uh, for the rest of my life. And then I just happened into an internship that changed the trajectory of, of my career. Uh, I had served an LDS mission in South Korea. And um, so when I had returned to BYU, uh, as an undergrad student, I was minoring in Korean. And one day my Korean professor just walked in you know, the room at the start of class and said, hey, I have a contact. They're looking for an intern to go back to Korea this summer. Who would like to go? And I didn't know what the company was. I didn't know what I'd be doing, but I was just like, yeah, I, I would love to go. Um, and so, you know, like that was, that was it. That was all I had mm-hmm. to do. And then all of a sudden I'm off to, to uh, South Korea again for the summer. And it just so happened that I landed in the corporate human resource and organizational development office for LG electronics in (laughs) South Korea. Um, Just a a complete coincidence, but, but in landing there, uh, I then spent the summer back in a country I loved uh, with, you know, diverse culture and language. And uh, I'll get more into that when we talk about the book. Um, And, and I I had my eyes opened to this whole uh, additional scope and range of types of things that I could be doing in my professional life. And so when I got back from that internship and, you know, back into accounting classes that fall semester, you know, it didn't take me long to realize I just, my heart wasn't in it. I really liked the HR, the OD, the training stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I went and talked to professors and I said, how do I do HR at the time? BYU didn't have an HR program. They do now, um, but they didn't then. And so 
uh, they just, I had multiple professors say, just go do a social science, go do psychology, sociology. So that's what I did. I switched one more time. I went to sociology. I graduated with a minor in business and Korean. Um, and then eventually, you know, I went on for my master's where I did um, at, at BYU and I did my emphasis in human resource management. Um, and then I went up uh, to the University of Utah for my doctorate uh, and got my PhD again in sociology. But this time I focused on the sociology of work and organizations and comparative international national sociology um, with, with a lot of overlap, like your Venn diagram between, you know, like HR, OD and like mm-hmm. organizational sociology is, you know, there's yeah. a lot of overlap. So that's what I ended up doing. And then um, when I was finishing up my PhD, I got a offer at UVU and I've been there ever since. So I've been at UVU now for a little over 12 years and uh, teach, you know, HR, organizational development and change management ethical decision-making, um, leadership courses, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Excellent. And then you're, you're on the side, you also have a company, human capital innovations, right? Where you do consulting for companies. Yeah. Yeah. So back in 2007, uh, when I was a PhD student, actually, I started, um, the firm human capital innovations with my partner and, I had done consulting work uh, with other firms up to that point. Uh, and I decided after having that experience, I'd been internal and external consultant in multiple organizations. I knew I loved it. I knew I really liked it. But I also I, I learned that there were things about the way these firms functioned and operated that I didn't particularly like. And so mm-hmm. I figured, hey, I'm getting my PhD. I'm just going to go. I'm going to hang my own shingle and, and start my own business. So I started it back then. And I've been doing it since. Um, and with ebbs and flows and, you know, I'm, I'm keep kind of a constant steady stream of, of clients and work associated with the firm. Um, but there've been times where I let it, um, die down a little bit and other times where I've been more busy the last couple of years though, I decided I I really, I, I was getting to the point in my academic career where I felt like it's time to focus a little bit more on practitioner stuff. Uh, and so I've been a lot more, um, attentive to the consulting work over the last uh, 18 months in particular, which just happened to coincide with the, you know, the onset of the pandemic uh, and some of those things. So it's been an interesting time, uh, yeah. but, but really rewarding to see organizations who are grappling with, you know, pivoting to virtual workforce and distributed workforce and trying to mm-hmm. figure out how to successfully manage and lead uh, distributed teams, uh, how to maintain, you know, maintain, establish, maintain, sustain, you know, a meaningful culture within the organization, even when people aren't together in person. Like these are the types of issues that everyone's been grappling with over the past 18 months. And so it's been fertile ground uh, yeah. to really do some cool work. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, you're smiling as I say that, because I'm sure you've experienced similar things there at Eddie. Oh yeah. Haven't, haven't we all right. I mean, it's an interesting time where, especially in that HR space, you know, there's a lot of these issues that so many, especially in small business HR that, you know, those oftentimes you have the, the solo HR person or the small team, and they're responsible for everything HR related at the company. And so there's a lot of these issues that I think that they're facing right now. I think that's a lot of our listeners. So I think it's, it's very relevant. So it's excellent hearing that background and having that context. The one question I have for you before we really dive into our topic is I usually like to ask guests, you know, what, what made you want to choose to pursue a career in the HR space? And you kind of answered that for us, but so maybe instead um, what's kept you in the HR space? You had this transition where you changed your major a couple of times. You found this thing that you liked, but since then, what's really kept you in that space? 
You know, HR is just a fascinating place and it's so wide open. Like there's so much stuff that it includes. And so you get to scratch the itch. Uh, I'm a pretty analytical person. Like I said, I was an accounting major at BYU for crying out loud. Um, You know, that's not for everybody. And, and so, you know, I love data. I love statistics. I love analytics. I love all of that stuff. There's plenty of that that you can do in HR. So that's wonderful. But I also love, um, you know, the coaching, the mentoring. I love the the training and the development. I love org change. You know, so my interests are diverse and my mm-hmm. wife can tell you, I tend to get a little bit um, impatient. Like I, I, I uh, get bored. Like I want to do lots of different things. And so, you know, I couldn't see, and that was one of the reasons why I just couldn't see myself doing counting. I, I, I was good at it. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't think I couldn't be good at it and enjoy it doing those things. I just couldn't see myself doing them all day, every day for the rest of my life. Um, and so I love having a mix in HR, uh, and as a consultant working with organizations, like where we get to do a lot of things, uh, and every, every new project, every new engagement is a new challenge. It's unique. Even when you see commonalities across organizations and across teams, every context is different. Uh, and so, you know, there's one, there's no one size fits all every, every new engagement, you have to go in, you have to try to understand the people dynamics, which, you know, every organization is messy with, you know, all right. Even with well-intentioned individuals, you know, it's messy. It's, 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 it's human nature. Um, it's primal and, and you get to dive into that and, and try to figure it out. And, and, you know, as a, as a scholar practitioner, I also just constantly have kind of the scientist, you know, the social scientist mm-hmm. brain going on with hypotheses and trying to figure out why is it working this way? I would expect it to be this way, but it's not why. And, you know, HR is just full of opportunities yeah for me to explore all of that. And that keeps me engaged and passionate. That makes total sense. I think that's, I think a lot of people who've gotten into HR, who I've, I've, who I have talked with, you know, they, they like kind of that both right and left brain thinking the variety of activities that are included in that. So I think that that makes sense. So, all right, well, I want to get into this topic today. So you have this new book that was just released three weeks ago, bluer than indigo is the title. Tell us about where that phrase came from. Give us that context. Yeah. So the, the title is bluer than indigo leadership. And I, I, I utilize uh, a, an Asian proverb called bluer than indigo to set the tone for the book. The, the entire book is not about that one proverb, um, it, but it does lay the foundation. And then I go throughout and share uh, a bunch of different leadership principles uh, in a hope to help the reader kind of go on a, a, an individual journey of self-discovery to try to determine and understand their own personal leadership style and approach. Um, bluer than indigo means, um, well, let me, let me say it this way. So indigo, that's not a color, a word that we use all that often uh, in the U S but it's, it's described as the bluest of blue. It's the deepest, most vibrant blue. And so when you say something is bluer than indigo, it's a truly remarkable thing. Like something mm-hmm. is bluer than this most vibrant uh, beautiful blue. Mm-hmm. And in Asian culture, uh, there's a lot of deference given to the elders, given to teachers and leaders. Um, and so this idea of being bluer than indigo comes back to the teacher, the leader, uh, who is indigo, who's remarkable. People look up to them. They revere them. They, mm-hmm. they honor them. 
Uh, and yet the true leader, the true teacher, their whole purpose, their whole goal in what they do is to try to help the people that they lead, that they teach, that they serve to become bluer than indigo or greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that, that proverb has stuck with me. I learned it as an LDS missionary in South Korea. I saw it in action when I was working there at LG Electronics. And it stuck with me all these years later um, that that's like the foundational philosophy of how I want to build my own uh, life. That's how I mm-hmm. want to uh, lead. That's how I want to serve. Uh, I definitely have a servant leadership kind of mentality in my mm-hmm. approach to leadership. And Bluer Than Indigo is all about that. Uh, and so that informs the way I approach the teams I work with. Yeah. Uh, if, if I, if I see my people, uh, my number one goal as a leader is to help develop my people, to help them discover their own capacities and capabilities, help them develop and reach and grow towards those capabilities. And ultimately the number one indicator of my success will be their success. And mm-hmm. if I'm successful as a leader, I'm going to help them to grow into their own potential and surpass me. And that means I'm also secure enough in myself that I don't need to position myself over them. It's not about me. It's not about my ego. It's not about me trying to have power and control. It's not about me trying to, um, you know, keep them in their place. Uh, These are the types of things we often see in corporate America. We often see in many organizations, many leaders who simply, I I view it as insecurity. They're insecure. They, They feel like they have to, you know, position themselves above other people, talk bound down to other people, condescend to other people, um, all because they're insecure in themselves and they're worried about losing power and control. Um, it, bluer than indigo leadership is, is completely the opposite of that. It's me recognizing the need, uh, to focus first and foremost on developing others. And as I do that, of course I develop myself. I grow into my capacities and capabilities better because that's my focus And then everyone thrives. I thrive as a leader. My team thrives as a team. Individuals on my team thrive. They grow, they develop, they grow into their careers. And then we also have then, you know, people who can take over and be the next generation of leaders when the time comes. I love that. I think that analogy is so powerful. And so I love that concept of bluer than indigo and that that's kind of the foundation for this book. And man, the concept there just resonates with me so much. I'm just thinking back on so many conversations I've had with um, people who I've worked with in the past, new managers on my team who were just starting to manage people for the first time. And I think one of the, the biggest um, secrets to management and leadership was when you're first starting out managing someone for the first time, you think you have to know their job better than them. Right. And the big secret is you don't. And the best leaders know that they want to hire people who are better than them in many ways. Right. And that's how you get the most out of the team. And that's how you become, you know, one of the most effective leaders. So I, I, that just really resonates with me, um, for sure. So tell us a little bit more about the inspiration for this book. I love, I love the analogy there that is the foundation of this, but why did you feel like you needed to write this book now? Yeah, I, I think generally speaking, um, this book, as well as its predecessor, I, I published uh, another book um, back in November of 2020 called The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Um, so this is a companion, it's, it's a standalone, it's its own thing, but it's a companion book to the alchemy um, book as well. And in both cases, I made a very conscious choice that I wanted to start uh, focusing my writing on a, a practitioner audience, 
uh, I, I'm in academia. I've been doing research for years. I've you know published 80 something academic articles. I've published academic books, you know, but they're, they're that's a fundamentally different kind of an audience that you're focusing yeah. on when you're writing for other academics. And frankly, the reach is limited. Um, so if I, if I have a, a really impactful journal article in an academic journal, um, you know, it might get cited, you know, a few hundred times and read by maybe hundreds or thousands of other academics. And that's, that's really a really impactful article. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't want to take away from that and the, the work of social scientists and other scientists and, and building on, you know, building the wall of, of scientific knowledge, all of that's super important. I'm a believer in the academic endeavor, but I also have this real recognition that, you know, I'll spend hundreds, maybe thousands of hours on a research project, publish it. Um, and then, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people will end up reading it. Um, but that's a pretty limited scope. And most of those people aren't leading people like they're yeah. other academics. Right. And so if, if I, I, you know, the thought was, how do I be more impactful? How do I, how do I translate the principles that I've found hold to hold true in the research that I've done, but share it in a way that's more digestible uh, and consumable to the average individual and the average leader, the average manager in an organization. I'm a firm believer that we're all leaders. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, there's formal leaders, obviously they, there's a title, um, they have people reporting to them. Obviously there's formal leaders within organizations, formal managers, um, but we all have leadership roles in our lives. Um, and, and we all have an opportunity to develop those leadership skills. I'm a firm believer in that. And so I, I just wanted to write something that would be a little bit more accessible. And, you know, if you pick up either the alchemy book or the bluer than indigo leadership book, I think you'll find, you know, that both are, are written that way. Um, pretty concise, short chapters with lots of, um, examples, um, grounded in research with citations, but, but largely a, a pretty quick read. And at the end of each chapter, you know, there's summary notes. There's also, um, uh, you know, key takeaways, um, and application questions for leaders, uh, to yeah. self-reflect and to really think about what they're doing in relation to the principles that they just read about, and then an opportunity for them to set goals. And so it's, it's actually, both books are actually almost as much of a workbook, um, as they are, you know, a, a traditional kind of a read for a leader. Um, in, in that way, I think both books and, you know, the bluer than indigo book, it's, it's unique that way. It's, it's, it's not probably, um, the traditional kind of leadership book. There's thousands of leadership books out there. Um, but I think it's, it's a bit unique. And, uh, the whole point is, to not say this is the right way you need to do this. It's mm -hmm. to share principles and then provide a pathway for people to go on their own journey and self-discovery to figure out what works best for them. I love it, man. You're getting me excited to go and read this book now. I'm, I'm pretty sure you you might have a background in sales here too. Maybe it's maybe it's not just HR because you're selling it pretty well. I'm I'm excited to jump in and read it. So I I want to I want to cut to the heart of this right now. So what are some of the principles that are talked about in this book? What makes the best leaders effective and successful? What makes them bluer than indigo? 
Yeah, it's, it's a really important point. So I talk in the book about things like um, openness and transparency. I talk about building trust uh, within your team and within your organization. I talk about a, a variety of different principles of high, highly impactful leadership. So uh, what we do, I, all of us have to choose. We all have our own personal uh, you know, we have our own individual personalities. We have our own personal style. We have, you know, our own comfort level. Some of us are more introverts or extroverts, et cetera, right? There's all these different ways that influence how we might be most comfortable in our own skin coming forward as leaders. Uh, and so part of it is just like really recognizing and understanding being very real about who we are and not trying to be something we're not. So be genuine and authentic to yourself, um, develop, yourself around these core capability areas. Uh, you, everyone wants openness and transparency. Everyone wants trust relationships. Everyone wants you um, to create a psychologically safe environment where people can speak up. Uh, people, nobody wants command and control. Nobody wants micromanaging. You know, So we go through a lot of those types of principles in the book uh, just to help people you know, consider and think about it. The reality is most people who find themselves in leadership roles in organizations do find, find themselves there because they were really good at whatever job they were in previously. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's not necessarily because they have any background in leadership or management mm-hmm. uh, or they have any particular skills or abilities in that. And so the classic example is like Michael Scott in the office, you have, you know, this guy who's a great salesperson and because he was a great salesperson, he gets promoted to be office manager and he's a bumbling idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's a little harsh to say there's a lot of bumbling idiots around out there, but it's kind of true, right? Like well-intentioned, people doing the best they know how, but you can't blame them. Like they don't know what they're doing. Um, And and I think the vast majority of people in formal leadership roles, they don't know. The the only thing they can do is base it on what they've seen. So they they base it on the leaders they've seen around them in the past, the good bosses, the bad bosses. Um, Hopefully they've had some good examples that they can emulate. And then maybe they have a fighting chance of being a decent leader. But a lot of us have had a whole long string of bad bosses, mm-hmm. people who are micromanagers, people who, um, you know, aren't empowering and who aren't building genuine relationships of trust and mutual accountability, uh, with their team. And so despite our best intentions, when, when we have no background, no training, no real, we have nothing to base our leadership approach on other than these bad examples, guess what? We start to repeat the cycle and we start to do those similar things. We might disrupt some things, but largely we just kind of repeat the cycle. And so I am a firm believer that everyone in any, any role of leadership, whether it's like you have two people reporting to you as a, as a um, supervisor, all the way up to an executive level position or CEO, everyone um, who's working with other people and trying to uh, influence others has has the uh, requirement to to develop leadership skills and competencies if they're going to be successful in their career. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I want to be generous with people who are trying their best and recognizing that people generally, I believe people have good intentions. I don't think most people set out to go to work, to be a crummy boss who everyone hates. I, I think most people want to go and be effective. They just don't know how. And so yeah. um, the goal is, of this book and the alchemy book is really just to, to help people walk through that process and, and think about it. Um, no shame, 
you know, no judgment, you know, we're, we're all, we're all in that same space. We're all trying to figure yeah. things out as we go. Um, but if we're committed to growth and development, um, then we can become that dynamic leader. And when I say dynamic, I don't mean charismatic, like mm-hmm. a char- if you, if you have that charismatic style, that's great, but there's tons of research that shows there's no one size fits all leadership style or approach. Like you can yep. be completely introverted and be a great impactful leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, everyone can, can lean into being their genuine, authentic self, um, and still being impactful. And I think that's a, an important realization uh, for many. I love it. So I think that makes total sense now hearing that too, why this book is going to be so impactful and so different in that it presents the principles and examples, but then also, like you said, at the end of the chapter has some of those, how do you then start to implement it, right? Some of the tactical takeaways. So that sounds very, very impactful. I'm excited for it. So, um, so we've talked about this, you know, as reading this book as a leader and how do I improve on my own? But let's shift a little bit. If there are HR leaders out there who, or business leaders out there who want to read this book and then help the managers at their company become bluer than indigo leaders, what are the best tips or takeaways that you have for them? Yeah, I think it comes back to coaching and mentoring. I think a good leader has regular dialogue with people on their team. Um, you know, uh, sometimes I, I hear um, I hear managers or I hear leaders kind of bemoan the fact that their team wants constant feedback. Their team, you know, constantly wants to to uh, to have conversations with them, performance conversations, like constantly wanting direction. Um, and now we we want to train up and develop self-sustainable, you know, self-directed teams and self-sustainable individuals within our organizations. But we shouldn't shy away from providing feedback. Uh, we should have regular conversations and dialogue. We should know our people. We should, you know, if we're going to develop a, a genuine relationship of trust and mutual accountability with our people, that means we have to have conversations with them. And so uh, I, I'm a big believer in just the coaching, the mentoring role of a leader for their team. And if that's the way you're, you're approaching this and I'm an, I'm a leader, I pick up the book or one of the thousands of other leadership books that are out there. And I'm, I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. There's some good stuff here. What do I then do with it? Um, I think the wrong thing to do is to call your team together and say, okay, everybody, you now need to read this book and we're going to have like, we're going to come back and we're going to discuss it. And we're going to figure out how you need to do all these things you know, that, that kind of defeats the purpose, right? And and you're not going to have buy-in. You're not going to have um, people committed to it because they just feel like they have to. And so I, I think just through the mentoring, uh, through the uh, the guidance that you provide as a leader, generally speaking, you can start to demonstrate and model through your own behaviors, through your own actions, some of these principles Again, recognizing like what I said a, a few minutes ago, most people who end up in leadership roles have had no training. They're just going off of what they see. And mm-hmm. so the best thing you can do is be the model of a good, effective, impactful, genuine leader for your people, um, whether they ever read the book or any other book or not, at least they'll have a, like that good example that they can draw on and they can think about when they're, they find themselves in the role. And then you can get a little bit more specific when you're having mentoring right. and coaching conversations. Um, you can even point them to specific things in this book or other books or resources on the internet um, that they might find helpful 
to better understand a concept that you're talking about. But I, I definitely am not a big believer in, you know, kind of trying to force everyone yeah. to get on board with like this one training or this one book or something It tends to not work all that well. Yeah. I think that makes total sense. I think that resonates with many of us. I know I've seen that at organizations too, you know, and as you're talking, I'm thinking back on previous conversations with other guests on previous podcast episodes, right. And about some of these, some of these principles, one that comes to mind is we know, especially in small business space where you have that solo HR leader or a small team, there's so much work to be done by that person. And those small business HR people often end up doing all the spending all their time on the administrative work. How do I get people to sign this paperwork and this and that and and whatnot? And they don't have enough time carved out for that strategic HR work, the coaching, the mentoring, helping build the culture of the team. So I would say, you know, one of the things that comes to mind based on that previous conversation we had is you got to make sure that you can set up the right infrastructure. If you are that solo HR person to, automate and streamline that the the administrative stuff so you can spend more time modeling that behavior and coaching and training and that's where you're going to see that that big impact for sure um i, I think that's absolutely yeah i think that's absolutely right and most quote unquote leaders i say that because maybe they're functionally a leader they have a role they have a title um but they may not actually be leaders like a lot of times people who are in leadership roles are more of managers and you know, there is a distinction there. And, and I think the vast majority of people in those formal roles, despite whatever their best intentions are, they end up spending the vast majority of their time just running around like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to put out fires and just yeah. trying to deal with all these little administrative tasks that need to be accomplished for sure. But it doesn't leave them the time to do the strategic stuff. It doesn't leave them the time to develop the relationships that are necessary. It doesn't leave them the time to really focus on the fundamentals of effective leadership, effective people management, mm-hmm. uh, and those sorts of elements. Uh, just yesterday, I was having lunch uh, with, with a couple HR professionals and they were asking me like, what, what's the secret? Like, how do you have a really great dynamic HR department or a really people-centric organization? I mean, there's a ton of stuff we could talk about there, but mm-hmm. I think first and foremost, it comes back to like, just do the fundamentals. Well, treat people with dignity and respect, right? Have regular conversations with your team. Um, do the, the coaching, the mentoring that we've been talking about, just doing those simple fundamental things on a consistent, regular basis will pay huge dividends, but it's hard because we, you know, leaders are, are, they have such a burden, they have such a heavy load and they're running around trying to accomplish everything. And it seems like, you know, maybe they're wasting their time focusing on their people doing these little things consistently every day um, when they feel like, you know, I, but I'm not even going to make payroll, you know? Right. And so I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hustling to make that happen. And, you know, I, I get it. All these things are important, but we can't leave the fundamentals undone. And if we do, yeah. despite our best intentions, you know, ultimately we're, we're not going to have the kind of team that we would hope that we would have. Yeah. It goes back to that classic saying for small business, are you working in your business or on your business? Right. And we need those top leaders, you know, really to be working on the business and on the people. And that's the role typically of that main leader and CEO. Right. So this has been an awesome, awesome um, conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm very excited to go dive into this book, uh, bluer than indigo leadership. Um, and 
really, really excited to, to learn some of these principles that we talked about today. So the last question I have for you that is a little bit separate from the rest of our conversation, but we like to ask all of our guests this. So at Eddie, one of our core beliefs is that we believe that building a healthy business is one of the most charitable things you can do if you do it the right way, right? You have the ability to impact so many lives of your customers, your employees, and your community. And so according to you, in your opinion, what is the quote unquote right way to build a healthy business? I mean, if you want a a psychologically safe business, you want a a healthy business, uh, you need to focus on people, Uh, a people centric organization that not only means, you know, focusing on the human capital within your organization, um, the, the human resource within your organization, but also a customer centric organization, right? You need to be people centric all the way around, uh, yeah. and, you know, looking at all the stakeholders, uh, related to the business. And, you know, I, t- I love technology. I, I love one of the streams of my research is on the future of work and looking at shifts and trends in the nature of work, super fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about new technologies that are driving shifts and changes, allowing us to be more effective and efficient and, and all of that. And we need to leverage those technologies. Absolutely. But in doing that, we have to recognize still that it's, it's the people within the organization that drive innovation. It's the people within the organization that are ultimately going to make the difference that are going to either drive sustainable long-term success and growth and innovation, or that are going to undermine um, the strategies of the organization have, you know, negative encounters with the customers and ultimately drive you know, the company into the ground, or at least not to be as as successful as it could be. So let's focus on our people. Uh, Let's not be afraid of that. Let's not be shy about that. Um, Investing in your people is important, just like you would invest in maintain in maintenance of your equipment uh, or, you know, trying to get the new technology. Uh, We have to invest in our people. We have to um, be people centric, both inward and outward. And when we can do that, and create a psychologically safe environment, I think everyone has the chance to thrive. Yeah, I love that. People definitely are the most important assets for, or should be for all businesses. So love that tip. Well, uh, Dr. Restor, this has been great. Again, what's the best way for listeners who might have additional questions and want to get in contact with you? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, there's, there's several ways. I mean, the easiest way is just to connect with me on LinkedIn. If you just search up Jonathan H. Westover, I'll pop right up. Um, I'm associated, of course, with Human Capital Innovations and with Utah Valley University. Uh, if you want to find out more about the really cool, innovative stuff we're doing in our HR program at UVU, um, check out our department website. Give me a ring. I'd love to chat with you about it. We have awesome students doing awesome work uh, who are, are we're producing just really great future HR leaders uh, for uh, Utah, the Wasatch Front, and throughout the country. Uh, if you're interested in human capital innovations, innovativehumancapital.com is the website. Uh, we run a podcast, uh, the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I would invite you to come and give that a listen. You can check out the books on Amazon or any major, you know, uh, retailer. Um, the Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership and Bluer Than Indigo Leadership are the two titles. Um, definitely invite you to check those out. And really, just just don't be a stranger. Feel free to reach out, connect with me. I'd be more than happy to engage in a conversation. And uh, this, this is stuff I could talk about all day long. I'm passionate about it and I love to, to chat. So give me, give me a holler. 
Thank you so much. We'll really appreciate it. We'll drop all of those links into the description. So if you're listening, you don't have to worry about hurrying and writing those down. Just come find the description. You'll be able to find all those links. So Dr. Westover, thank you again for taking the time. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. You too. Today, enduring companies know that their people are their most important assets and they invest in helping them excel. But often, small businesses with limited HR resources struggle to manage their people, payroll, and processes efficiently and create an environment where frontline, deskless employees thrive. That's why we created Eddy. Eddy is the all-in-one HR suite built for local businesses that streamlines tedious HR processes and improves the employee experience for frontline workers. With Eddy, you can hire, manage, pay, and engage employees with one easy-to-use software. No headache required. You've already done the hard part by creating a great business. Now let us help you take it to the next level. Visit eddy.com today to request a demo.